This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you that you are speaking to us, and Lord, in the quietness of what's happening inside of my heart right now, Lord, I know that you have prepared us for this moment, and for this time, and for such an hour as this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, your favor, and your kindness. Bless this time. Bless those that give. And thank you from the abundance of our heart for all that you are going to accomplish in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. All right. Well, I want to talk with you today about something that was kind of heavy on my heart. You know, when I, I start planning out our messages and I start praying through those messages, I, I think about the different um, uh, things that are just kind of pulling my heart. And I, I had this one sermon that I, I'm really looking forward to bringing to you that I found uh, the other uh, morning, but there was something else that just kind of these two thoughts. And so I actually started developing both messages, and I thought, well, I can do one 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 day and one the next week. And, you know, I, I was just kind of laying those out, and, and I kept going, I just don't know which one. And then I, I walked into my office, and they both just kind of melted together, merged together. And so I want to start a potential series today, and I want to call it Mast, okay? I know we're talking a lot about masks nowadays, and, uh, you know, we're always, uh, should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Is this good for me? Is that good? And, and you know what? I'm not going to answer any of those questions. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that right now. That's not my objective. That's not my point. And uh, what I want to talk with you about, though, is what we can learn from this hour, what we can learn from this time that will help us spiritually. In order to do so, I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to find uh, the scripture that I want to use for this series. Now, we'll have some other scripture as well, but this is the scripture that I want to use for this series. Now, this is the famous chapter out of Ephesians that talks to us about the armor of God, putting on the whole armor of God. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 6 says in verse number 16. starts like this. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Okay? So we, we need in this hour the shield of faith. But here's where the masked part comes on. Verse 17. Put on salvation as your helmet, as that thing that covers your head, okay? Put on salvation as that visor, that mask, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we're given these tools, these other parts of the armor that we could study in more depth later, but in this specific passage, we're giving something that will help protect our head, that will help protect us through faith, and that will help us uh, as we know how and where to stand, and that's in the power of God's Word through the Holy Spirit, okay, as He's going to lead us into all truth. Now, I think the problem is we don't know what, we don't, we don't have a clue where we're headed. We don't know what to believe. We don't know what to do. And, you know, I'm really big into that. I, I want to know exactly where we're headed, and then we'll figure out how to get there. 
As a matter of fact, I, I have a, a, a just kind of a, a personal motto or, or phrase. Uh, it's not, don't tell me how that we uh, can or can't accomplish something. Show me what we're going to do, and then we're going to figure out the how. Just show me what our plan is. And, you know, I was having that discussion this week, just, all right, where are we going? And we can find a way to get where we're going as long as we know where we're going. And with that thought in mind, I want to share with you a story that I read about and I found very interesting. Uh, the time is September the 9th, 1965. And James Stocksdale was uh, flying a mission over North Vietnam. His plane was shot down. He parachuted into a village where he was captured. And James Stockdale would spend the next seven years, listen, the next seven years of his life. Some of you are having trouble having to be quarantined or, or away from folks for seven days. But watch this. The next seven years of his life as a POW in the infamous uh, Hanoi Hilton, okay? And so this, this place that you've seen in other movies and heard about. And so as a senior naval officer... Uh, they made him a very specific target. He was routinely tortured. He was denied medical treatment after those tortures. And he was confined to a concrete cell where there were no windows. It was three feet by nine feet in dimension. Could you imagine that? Spending literally three feet by nine feet for of your life uh Seven years in that amount of space. The only time you get to come out is when you know you're going to be tortured. You know that they're going to be playing mind games with you. You know they're going to be telling you they've murdered your family and, and that the war is over and your country is lost and all of these things. And so, I mean, how in the world do you survive that? How do you spend seven years of your life captured in this, this, this place? Well, how they asked him that question. How did you survive under those kind of circumstances? How did you survive that kind of physical and psychological trauma? And here's what James Stockson said, and it's very important. I want you to get this. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. Listen to that very carefully. I never lost faith in the end of the story. Some of you are going, well, I don't know what the story's end is. Yes, you do. And that's probably the failing of the church. That's probably the failing of most of us who are supposed to be proclaiming to you. And we've been working so diligently for the last 20 years to be relevant and, and, and address right where everybody's living. But you know what? We are preaching a message that's not always going to seem natural to this earth. Our job is to tell you first and foremost that Jesus Christ came, he died, and he wants to forgive you of all your sins. But then we need to prepare you for the fact that he who came is also going to come again. I want you to listen to me very carefully. And so when we're talking about the end of the story, James Stockdale said, I know what the end of the story looks like. I know what's waiting for me on the other side. And, you know, we used to sing all these songs in the church because of the, of the depression era songs that were written that talked about, oh, some glad morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and I'll fly away. And, and uh, when we all get over yonder and all these songs that were talking about a better place, 
And then we, we've entered into an era that I think is a wonderful place to enter into where we're talking more to God than less about God. But occasionally we need to remind each other through these kinds of uh, psalms and stories and, uh, and songs that say, hey guys, uh, listen, I want you to understand that I know where I'm headed. I know where I am and it may not be where I want to be, but I know where I'm headed. And we have to remember a passage like Revelation chapter 11, verse number 15, that says this, says the, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. Watch this now. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of our Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Look, the end of the story right there. That's the end of the story, that I may not like everything that's going on now, but there's something laying ahead of me that's better. I may not like where I'm having to walk now, but there's streets of gold ahead of me. There's a, there's a city that shall descend out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband, Scripture says. There'll be a loud voice out of that city that says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and, uh, and he shall be their God, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more sorrow, pain for the former things are all passed away. Can I just go ahead and say that there'll be no more viruses to have to worry about. There'll be no more political struggles to have to be constantly bombarded with. There'll be no more sin of this world anymore to have to deal with. Why? Because the end of the story, uh, the king of glory shall come in and he shall establish his throne forever. Listen to me. I think the whole issue is this then. Before we can understand how we need to live here in the circumstances we're in, we have to really make up our mind, do we, do we believe it? And are we going to live like it? Let me say it again. Do we believe it? And are we going to live like it? You see, we don't believe in some happily ever after. We believe in something so much bigger, so much better, so much longer, so much stronger. We believe in happily forever after. Here's what I know for sure. I want you to get this today. God is not nervous. God is victorious. His kingdom is going to come. His will is going to be done. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen to me. That's what you need to get today. That hell may be roaring. Hell may be shaking. And it may seem like hell is advancing for a season. But what did the prophet of old say? That as it were, the enemy were advancing against the saints of God until. Thanks be to God, there's always an end to the story. Until the Ancient of Days comes in. And my hope is not in this world. My hope is in the Ancient of Days. Jesus The one who granted my salvation is my salvation. Let's say that again. Jesus, the one who granted my salvation, is my salvation. Listen to me. We've got to keep the end of the story in mind. But if you watch the news, constantly are surfing feeds and watching the news, here's two things that are going to happen to you. I want you to listen to me very carefully. You're going to get mad and you're going to get sad. And it's going to be on a cycle. You're going to get mad. You're going to get sad. 
You're not going to understand how somebody could be dumb enough to believe this. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to think, what kind of world are we living in that this is going on? You're going to get mad. You're going to get sad. It's going to happen over and over and over again if that's all you're doing. But listen to me. What you need to be doing is reading the scripture reading the end of the story. It's time for you. Well, I'm, I'm afraid to go to the book of Revelation. Well, that's okay. It's time for you to go to the book of Revelation. And you see, you've got to make sure that you're filtering the bad news through the good news of the gospel. You've got to start filtering the bad news. The end of the story needs to be filtered, needs to go through the mask. Watch that now. And, and it needs to remind you this may be happening now. People are talking about, well, is this a sign of this? Or is this setting up for the mark of the beast? Or is this happening? Is that? You know what? All those things are going to happen. But the end of the story tells me, I was reading in Ezekiel this morning, about there are those who trust the Lord. And those who trust the Lord have a mark upon their head. And when judgment comes, the, those who are have the mark of the Lord upon their head, who have uh, not received any mark put on by man, but have been marked by the blood of Jesus Christ, they shall be spared in the hour of judgment. See, there's an end of the story, and I can't allow myself to get caught up in this mad, sad cycle. I've got to get my attention where it needs to be. Now, come on. We know how this ends. Love never fails. Love never ends. Love conquers all. Ultimately, love wins. All right, let me, let me come back around to James Stockstill for just a minute. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. But let me break that down just a little bit further with some more of his words. And here's what he said. Listen to me. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you cannot afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Now listen to that. He said, you can't, you can't, lose the truth of realizing, though I know what the end is, I'm also having to walk through a present day of trouble. I love the way the psalmist said it. He said he, he enables me to run through a troop and jump over a wall. Well, some of you are going, well, praise God. He, in other words, he helps me win in the end. But what did he have to go through to get to the victory? He had to, he had to go through a battle and he had to climb over a wall, an obstacle. Before you can get to where you need to be, you're going to have to realize there are some, some brutal, brutal realities that you're going to have to confront the brutal facts, and you're going to have to do that with unwavering faith. We are living in a dark day. We are living in a tough time. You know, some people are saying, well, Pastor Don, all these pastors talking about fear versus... Uh, listen, listen to me. You know what? Fear should not even be in the vocabulary of the righteous saints of the Most High God. We have confidence in this one truth that Jesus Christ, He, the one who began a good work in us, is able to carry it through to His completion. We're not living in fear. I'm not living in hiding. I'm not hiding behind some cave. I, what I'm doing is I'm walking as a person of faith, not being disrespectful respectful of those around me, but dealing with the brutal facts that, that, you know what, I may not like where I am. I might not like some of the diagnosis that we've heard lately. I may not like some of the things that I'm having to do, and I may or may not agree with some of these, but the realities are, this is where we are. This is who we are. And we have to realize that faith tells me this is not who I'm always going to be and not where I'm always going to live. Because there's a better tomorrow ahead for those who are in Christ. You see, we're living in a time that is trying to crush us into compromising our convictions. 
It's trying to make us mold and see what is uh, uh, right as wrong and what is wrong is right. But being people of unwavering faith means we say and we do what aligns with God's plans over our own opinions. Let me say that again. Being people of unwavering faith means we say and we do what aligns with God's plans over our own opinions. Now I get it. We can be uncomfortable with some of the decisions that we feel like are being forced on us. And we have the rights for this and we have the rights for that. You know, there's this story in the scripture, and I didn't mean to bring it up today, but I'm going to give it to you as fast as I can. And it's about a woman by the name of Rispa. And Rispa had been married into the family of Saul, and, and, and later on, after Saul's kingdom's gone, David's kingdom begins to suffer this, 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 uh, this, this struggle, and they find out the reason that, that their kingdom is suffering is because Saul had broken a covenant made before God with a Gibeonite people. And so the Gibeonites are given a choice, and it's a brutal story, but they're given a choice. All right, what do you want us to do to make it right that Saul broke, the, broke our word to you? And they said, give us, give us this many of his children, give us this many of his sons, so that we can, can wipe them out. And so they take Rispa's children and, uh, and these men, and they, they end up uh, just, just slaughtering them. And they leave them uh, as a public sign of what happened. Now, that, that's a horrible story. But listen to what we see in this. The moment that the sons died, Rispa was actually legally free to go become part of another family. As long as her sons lived, she was always bound to the family of Saul. She had the right to do whatever she wanted at that moment. But just because she had the right to do it didn't make it the right thing to do. I'm going to say that again. Just because she had the right to do it didn't make it the right thing to do. So Rispa actually stays by the body of her children until David is reminded by her right actions that he needs to go do what's right and bury their bodies. You see, David quickly was just glad that the struggle was over, and he moved on with what he had the right to do. But because she didn't go say, oh, it's my right to now go marry and have more children and do all these things. No, she said, you know what, I'm going to stay here until this is made right. Listen to me. You have a lot of rights that are being questioned right now. There's a lot of people trumpeting their rights. But sometimes your rights are not the right thing to do. What the right thing for you to do is this, to live in such a manner, to behave in such a manner, to speak in such a manner, to post in such a manner, to carry yourself in such a manner that other people can see Jesus through you. That's the right thing to do. Is what I'm doing aligning with God's plan for my life? You see, that needs to be my opinion, that I want to be what God wants me to be. You see, I believe that if we're serious about the kingdom of Christ and following that kingdom, we cannot retreat to the echo chambers of of just people who believe like we believe. What we have to do is leave the comfortable confines of where we're at in our subculture, and we need to walk out into a darkened world as the light of Christ. And we may not agree with everything going on. Yes, you know what? They may look at you and say, to come here, you're going to have to put on a mask, okay? I thought it was funny. I, I, I folded up this mask and put it in my, my pocket, and I actually said to my wife, you know, my grandfather carried something that looked like this. It was a handkerchief, and, and, and now I carry the similar type fabric-looking thing, but it, it's a mask. 
You know, I'm, I, literally, I know this is going to sound silly, but every time I, I put one of these on and go into a convenience store, I, I feel like I'm about to rob the place. You know, I feel like, man, you're not supposed to do this. But uh, uh, it doesn't matter what I feel about it. Listen to me very carefully. Pastor Don, you know, but you understand the scientific... No, 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 no. Stop. What matters is the testimony. We all hear stories of men like Polycarp. Polycarp walks out into the middle of a, of a stadium. They take him and they lash him to a post. And as they bring him into the stadium, and they're about to set him on fire. This man who was the disciple of, of Timothy, who was the disciple of Paul, who was won by visitation of Christ. Listen to me. Polycarp walks into the middle of the stadium. As he walks in the middle of the stadium, the heavens shake, and their voice literally is heard from heaven. And the voice says this. The voice says, play the man. Play the man. In other words, don't let what's about to happen change who you are. They strap him to the post. They light everything on fire. Polycarp, he continues to be the man of faith. He continues to be the man of power. He continues to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the fire does not touch him. It will not consume him. It cannot shake him because he knows who he is. He knows where he stands. That's the kind of man who's not trifling on whether or not a rule says I should do this or do that. He's a man who says, I have one thing that I will stand on. And that one thing is this, that Jesus Christ is the only answer, the only hope, and the only truth. And if he had to go and be strapped to a post and be laid on fire so that other people could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was willing to go, but the fire could not consume him. So eventually they end up having to run him through with these giant spears just to get him to die because he would not die. Why? Because he had staked his claim in something greater. I want you to know today that whether or not it's our right or not our right or to do these things or do those things, and go ahead, it's okay, go ahead and make the comments. I'm good with those things, but I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. The greatest comment that you need to be making is this, Lord, help me to go into every environment and help me to be an example of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life so that I can live in every environment in such a way that people know, you know what, we're not going to tell a dirty joke in front of him because he's a believer and they're going to get up and they're going to walk away. We're not going to talk about uh, the Lord's name in vain in front of him because we know that's his heavenly father. We're not going to, we're not going to show that kind of garbage when they're sitting around. Why? Because we know that's, that, that's not who they are. They're, they're not going to be running down the halls of your school saying, look at this, this, this filth and, and those kind of things because you have made your stand. You played the man. And then simple things don't disrupt your faith. You keep walking. You keep moving forward. You see, how do we stand in our faith? Well, the word tells us very simply that you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we're not transformed by the renewing of our mind, we will be conformed to the world around us. Listen to me. Some of you go, that's my problem, Pastor. I'm trying not to conform to the world. Well, you're actually conforming to the world. It's like when I was a boy, and I'm really going to get hate mail over this probably. A lot of people said, well, if you wear, if you don't wear this, this length pant or this length are a, a shirt, or if you, if, if, if this one, if had long hair, if this one had uh, short hair, I mean, all this, these rules of, we call them holiness rules. 
Do you know what the standard was? The standard was, am I holy compared to these people? Am I holier than those who are out wearing this short or where those are out wearing short sleeves? And, you know, am, am I holy by these standards? That's the wrong view. There's only one standard by which we can be holy. And that's, am I holy by his standards? And he's not looking so much on the outward as scripture says he looks on a man's heart. So we have to be transformed by the way we think. The renewing of our minds that comes out of Romans chapter 12. You know this passage, one of the most popular messages to be preached, but don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, no matter whether you agree with them or not. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let's just go ahead and deal with that for a minute. The righteous children of God are posting things they have no business posting, saying things they have no business saying, hate. They're posting racism. And how dare someone who claims to be a, a blood-bought child of the living king feel like it's okay to say or post things with curse words in them? The Bible says these things ought not to be so. We've got to let God start changing who we are from the inside out. God, change who we are. That a new person becomes who we are by the way we have changed how we think. And then you will learn to know God's perfect will for you. We're saying, God, what do you want me to do? And say, what well, I tell you what God wants you to do. He wants to, you to let him change who you are. So this is the pleasing and perfect will of God. You see, when he says don't copy the behavior of the standards of the world, what it means is don't be fashioned after them. Don't let, don't let the news media determine what you're, you're heralding. Don't let some, some group that you are a, a member of determine what you're talking about. But he's saying, listen, don't allow yourself to be unaware of the enemy's schemes. He's wanting to undermine your identity in Christ. And how is he wanting to do that? By giving you a false identity that makes you align with the standard of this world that is fashioned by the cultural icons of this day. We are in this world, but as the children of the Most High God, we are not of this world. You see, you need to know who you are, and you need to know whose you are. You need to know who you are, and you need to know whose you are. Everything that you embrace needs to be filtered through that belief system. Okay? So what did Ephesians chapter 6 uh, say? What did it say there in Ephesians 6, 16 and 17? It said, I want you to take up this uh, 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 shield of faith, sword of the spirit, and put on the helmet. Notice this, the head covering, put on the helmet of salvation. Now, Pastor Don, what does that have to do with a mask? Well, he's saying, I want you to put something over your head that will filter what comes in. Watch this now. I want you to put something on that will filter what gets inside of your brain. Oh, no, 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 Pastor. No. That, let me preach just a moment. We must ask ourselves, does my thought life line up with my faith life? Let's say that again. Does your thought life line up with your faith life? Now, this message was partially born from a comment that I made just a few messages ago. And it said this, if we were as concerned about sin as much as a virus, the world would be in a much different state. 
And what I was referring to is people that are making sure they've got their mask on when they're out in public. And they're walking around, making sure, can you hear me okay? I hope so. That's the way our world sounds nowadays. Making sure that they're not getting too much exposure to a virus that can filter in, consume you, people, you know, whether you agree with it, all the, listen, just listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Now this week they say something like, need some eye goggles too, possibly. And we're walking around and we're seeing all these different masks and all these different things everywhere. And my point is this, whether you agree with wearing a mask in public or not, that, 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 that's your issue. But how different would America be if people were that determined not to let sin in their life? Let's just start where it needs to start. Judgment starts where? The house of the Lord. How much different would America be? How much different would our world be if everything I was going to say had to be filtered through whether or not it sounded like a Christian? Well, I'm really, really missing the fact that there's nobody in the room because I really need some amens right about now. I want you to get this. How much different would the world be if what I'm going to consume has to filter through whether or not the righteous people of God ought to be bringing this into their lives? Oh, sorry, maybe I've got the mask at the wrong place. That what I'm going to let myself look at needs to be filtered from the head covering of salvation. You see, this is the way I used to talk, but now this is the way I talk since I'm a born-again believer. It's not that it's restricting who I am. It's changing who I am. It's adjusting who I am. It's helping me to become what God's called me to be. And it's not that I'm like, oh, well, I just, you know, I, 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 I just, I can't do that anymore. You know what? You're still going to be tempted to do things you shouldn't do. But instead, uh, you're looking at it like this. Can I look at that through the eyes of salvation? Can I be who God's called me to be? So if we would begin to think differently and realize that we've been given a head covering, we've been given a mask, we've been given a shield, we've been given something that changes what I deal with and makes me then again ask the same question, is what's going on in here lining up with my faith life? You see, I think God's trying to speak to us. And this last week, here's a few things I've learned about the virus and its spread. All right, so people say to me, I think that I have been exposed to the virus. All right, the word exposed means not shielded or protected, okay? I just, I'm going I'm to just, unfortunately, uh, some of you are going to probably find this a little shocking, but everyone I'm talking to has been exposed to the virus, okay? You've been exposed to the virus. If you've stopped to buy gas, you've been exposed to the virus. If you've opened a door in a public place, you've been exposed to virus. If you've retrieved your mail, you've been exposed to the virus. I mean, there's just all these different ways that you've been exposed. Now, see, it's the level of exposure that that something comes at you with that then we're trying to eliminate the massive amount of exposure. 
Because as I eliminate the massive amount of exposure, listen, you are going to walk in this world. You are going to have to deal with things in this world. But as you deal with things in this world, you're going to have to realize that, you know what, I might see something that I, I don't want to see. I'll never forget there was this this, this uh, uh, airport that, that we would fly into for missions. And as we fly into this airport, and if you've never been into a third world nation airport, uh, it's, it can be quite an experience. And, and, and as we'd fly into this, this, this airport, it never failed. There was always uh, just tons of improprietous uh, images uh, on the wall, massive, I mean, massive improprietous images of, of actresses and, and, and people that we might know from, you know, movies here. And as I'm walking, uh, down through this, it's literally a glass wall down through there. Some of you have probably been on those trips with me. You'll know this is what we actually do. I actually put you, usually I put the person on, on my left and I'm walking and I'm talking like this. Or I've even done this as I've went down through that hallway like that. Why? Because how dare you think you can walk into an environment like that country that is full of demonic witchcraft and voodoo and feel like you can help set people free when you're not willing to guard what goes inside of yourself. And see, you, you literally are having to use the helmet of salvation as a mask, as, as something that helps you filter out. You know, the righteous children of God ought have no business wondering if somebody's going to see what they've been watching on their Netflix account. It ought to be open game. You shouldn't have to have your phone password from your spouse. They ought to be able to look and see exactly what you've been seeing, exactly what you've been doing. People ought to be able to, to know exactly uh, where we've been because why? Because we're the righteous children of the Most High God and we might be exposed to it, but that doesn't mean I'm letting it in. And then we have contagion. You see, we move from, from exposure to a level of contagion. See, it's how much, how much am I exposed to? The spread of a disease or an idea by increased exposure. You see, so it, the question is, all right, so this helps me have less exposure. All right, this, by filtering things through salvation, helps me have less exposure. But we wonder why we end up in the same trouble as everybody else ended up when they got around the same weakness or same sin or they took up the same habit and why we thought we somehow were smarter and better but before long we were dying just as much as they were our families were falling apart just as much as they were we were hooked just as much as they were why because we allowed ourselves to get in an environment that had an increased amount of exposure to the thing that would harm us to sin of this world and so what i have to realize is when i'm walking into an environment i'm walking in to an environment that i'm trying to guard myself through for the fact of realizing, you know what, sometimes you have to open the door and say, I'm not going in there. You have to open the door and say, I'm not going in there. And there's been times in my life that have been there. There have been times I'm reminded of one, and I'm not going to tell the whole story, but of one that I, I could have gone into an environment that, that I thought was a potentially bad environment, but instead I had to choose to stand outside on a ship where it was freezing cold because I said, I'm not going to put myself in that place. People are like, man, it's cold out here. Why don't you come inside? It's because I made a decision not to put myself in what I thought might be a contagious environment of sin. Because after you've been exposed, if you don't guard yourself, you end up in a certain level of contagion. And when you get too much exposure due to being in a contagious environment, then you end up infected. 
And infected is the state produced by the establishment of one or more pathogen agents, such as bacteria, protozoans, or viruses, in or on the body of a suitable host. Wow. Listen to me. I fear that many of us, the righteous children of God, have allowed sin not only to enter our lives, but to infect our lives. Why? Not because we were exposed to it, but because we sat down among it. And then we became infected by it. This is important. You see, will we begin to live with the end of the story in mind? If so, we will begin to guard our minds from exposure. We'll avoid areas of contagion to prevent infection by sin. Our protective covering, the helmet of salvation. Can I do this as a believer? Do I have any business being in that environment as a believer? What's happening in me? What does it affect around me? Listen to me, you're going, Pastor Don, you've got to, you've got to spend some time with sinners. Yeah, you, if you, you, you've got to spend some time to win lost people, but you have no business acting like them while you're trying to. This is important. You see, we're going to be exposed to opportunities for sin in our lives. Blew my mind. Did you know that 25% of all online porn is consumed by children? They're being exposed. They're becoming contagious. They're sharing it with others, and they're becoming infected. We're wondering why our world wonders who they are. You see, sometimes it seems that sin just seeks us out. But oftentimes, however, sin is not finding us, but it's manifesting from the fact that we have not yet had our minds transformed by putting on the mind of Christ. We're not thinking Yet, like, is this okay for a believer to be thinking this way, acting this way, talking this way, involved in this? Something inside of us. We're so worried about what's outside of us. We need to realize that sometimes we're dealing with something that's going on inside of us. Several years ago, if, you, if, if you've ever driven into California, you're going to know exactly uh, what I'm talking about right here. Several years ago, California farmers were threatened with potential disaster in the form of the Mediterranean fruit fly. Probably came into the state because somebody uh, crossed the border with uh, infected fruit. After that larvae had hatched in that environment, it multiplied quickly. It was so rapid that it almost wiped out California's fruit uh, crop and industry. As you may know, the larvae of fruit flies and other insects do not eat their way into the fruit from the outside. Rather, the insect lays the egg in the blossom. The fruit grows around it. Sometimes later, the worm hatches inside the fruit and it eats its way out. Guess what? Sin is like that. It begins in the human heart, and if unchecked, it works its way out in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. 
As with that Mediterranean fly, it takes quick, vigorous action to deal with it and to root it out. Because if you let it go, it will have the upper hand and the results will be terrible and destructive. So here's what we must do. We must identify the thought patterns of our lives that are not living with the end in mind. Say it again. We must identify the thought patterns that are not living with the end in mind. Then we must allow our new identity to change the way we're thinking. We've got to begin to, to change all of those things. Some of you are going, Pastor Don, I'm dealing with sin. I'm dealing with struggles. I'm trying to tell you, you need to begin to ask yourself, filter those things through the fact as, as a believer, can I be involved with this? As a believer, should I say this? As a believer, do I have any business going there? And if you need to stand outside in the cold just to protect who you are as a believer, then you need to get yourself a good coat and stand outside in the cold. You see, I heard it. Brilliant analogy this week about this. Pastor Michael Todd said it this way this week. He said, attention given to an attraction which leads to interaction is sin. Let me say that again. Attention given to an interaction or to an attraction which leads to an interaction is sin. Here's what you need to understand. An attraction is not sin. When you see something then you, you see that as an attractive or it catches your eye or you, you something, an opportunity for sin. You see it, 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 it gleams at you. That's not sin. I've watched many people repent and go, I shouldn't have even noticed that. Well, the truth is we have to retrain our minds not to notice those things. But when you see that and then you begin thinking about how to bring it into your life, giving it attention, seeking an interaction, that's when it becomes sin. You see, when I am attracted to it, I'm simply exposed to it. But when I put on the mask and I cover myself and realize as a believer I have no business paying any attention to that, I'm rejecting it from my life. You see, what that's hap what's happening there is it's changing who we are. You see, if you compromise your integrity anywhere, you will eventually compromise it everywhere. If you compromise your integrity anywhere, you will eventually compromise it everywhere. So I have to begin to live with the end in mind. Instead of thinking, well, this is where I am and this is what I'm going through, I have to start thinking about where I'm headed and can I take this on the journey with me? Is that going to hinder my purpose? Is it going to help me? Do I, I have to compromise who, that I, who I am? Do I have to take off my faith to bring that into my life? Because if my thought life doesn't line up with my faith life, I'm in trouble. I'm covered. I'm shielded by the blood of Jesus Christ. Pastor Don, I want to begin to live with the end in mind. I want to begin to live in such a way that I can overcome everything that's going on in my life with a hope of knowing better is ahead. Sometimes you don't see better. 
It's because you're caught in that cycle between mad and sad. You got to begin to read the end of the story. Remind yourself about the end of the story. Ask somebody that you know and trust to help you understand the end of the story. And let me sum it up for you like this. That one day, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. There shall be a trumpet blast. The dead in Christ shall rise. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to be with him forever in the air. What a joyous day that shall be. When his kingdom is established upon this earth and the kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of our God. We don't have to wait for that day to begin to live with the end in mind. May the kingdoms of our God become the kingdom of my life. And everything that's not welcome in his kingdom is not welcome in my life. I want to pray with you now. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to bring this message, though it's challenging, though it's rebuking, it's also cleansing. Let us be washed clean and made whole. God, help us to be what you've called us to be, the righteous children of the Most High King. Lord, speak to us now. You see the areas of our life that have no business being in our life because they are contagious and infectious. Forgive us of all the anger, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the, the lust, the, 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 the foul speaking, the wrong actions, the wrong deeds, whatever those things are, and begin to replace those things with a new way of thinking and a new way of living that leads to life. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at War Hill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now.